that has power for the Spirit to move in us and to live a life that is honoring and pleasing to you. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. You may be seated. Moy of Kenya visited the village of Beaumont, Kenya, a small village in the hill country of western Kenya that was known for a, a mission hospital called Tenwick Hospital. And uh, he was there to dedicate uh, a new hydroelectric dam that had just been built there. My family had the privilege to be in Beaumont, Kenya when President Moy came to that town. And it was a big deal. I mean, some of these people had never seen the president in their lives. And they had never seen such pomp and circumstance take a town. And the town really went into a frenzy. They painted everything. I've never seen so much paint before. I mean, everything got repainted. There was landscaping all over the place. The best flowers were cut and put all over the place on the president's table, wherever he was. The people wore their best clothes. There was a major feast for the president. Everyone in the village was on their best behavior. The president was coming. Well, despite the president coming, the village was still not perfect. The day before he came, I was sitting in our little house looking at the clothesline of our neighbors. And there I saw four boys from the village that I hung out with and played baseball with sneak out of the bushes and steal all the clothes of our neighbor and run off. Well, they got caught and they got in trouble. But the point was this, just because the president was coming, just because he was there, it didn't mean there wasn't rebellion in the village. It didn't mean it was perfect. It didn't mean that there still wasn't a fallen nature in people. Today we're going to see the same thing. The king has come. But that doesn't mean there still isn't rebellion in the kingdom. We're going to see today that rebellion just doesn't take place on the periphery of the kingdom. It actually happens in the very heart of the kingdom, too. So let's look together at 2 Samuel chapter 20 and read this fascinating story. It's a little bit of a longer reading today. Please try to pay attention as we read God's word, but it's exciting reading, I'll tell you that. It's, uh, it's Game of Thrones-esque. Now there happened to be a worthless man whose name was Sheba, the son of Bichri, a Benjamite. And he blew the trumpet and said, we have no portion in David, and we have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. So all the men of Israel withdrew from David and followed Sheba, the son of Bichri. But the men of Judah followed their king steadfastly from the Jordan to Jerusalem. And David came to his house at Jerusalem, 
the king took the ten concubines whom he had left to care for the house and put them in a house under guard and provided for them, but not, did not go into them. So they were shut up until the day of their death, living as if in widowhood. Then the king said to Amasa, Call the men of Judah together to me within three days and be here yourself. So Amasa went to summon Judah, but he delayed beyond the set time that had been appointed him. And David said to Abishai, Now Sheba, the son of Bichri, will do us more harm than Absalom. Take your Lord's servants and pursue them, lest he get himself to fortified cities and escape from us. And there went out, from, uh, out after him Joab's men, and the Cherethites, and the Pelethites, and all the mighty men. They went out from Jerusalem to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichri. When they were at the great stone that is in Gibeon, Amasa came to meet them. Now Joab was wearing a soldier's garment, and over it was a belt with a sword in its sheath, fastened on his thigh, and as he went for it, it fell out. And Joab said to Massa, It is well with you, my brother. And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him, but Amasa did not observe the sword that was in Joab's hand. So Joab struck him with it in the stomach and spilled his entrails to the ground without striking a second blow, and he died. Then Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued Sheba, the son of Bichri. And one of Joab's young men took his stand by Amasa and said, Whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, let him follow Joab. And Amasa lay wallowing in his blood in the highway. And anyone who came by seeing him stopped. And when the man saw that all the people stopped, he carried Amasa out of the highway into the field and threw a garment over him. When he was taken out of the highway, all the people went after Joab to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichri. And Sheba passed through all the tribes of Israel to Abel of Beth Ma'at. And all the Bichrites assembled and followed him in. And all the men who were Joab came and besieged him in Abel of Beth Ma'at. And they cast up a mound against the city, and it stood against the rampart. And they were battering the wall to throw it down. Then a wise woman called from the city, Listen! Listen, tell Joab, come here that I may speak to you. And he came near her, and the woman said, Are you Joab? He answered, I am. Then she said to him, Listen to the words of your servant. And he answered, I am listening. Then she said, They used to say in former times, Let them but ask counsel at Abel. And so they settled a matter. I am one of those who are peaceable and faithful in Israel. You seek to destroy a city that is a mother in Israel. Why will you swallow up the heritage of the Lord? And Joab answered, Far be it from me, far be it that I should swallow up or destroy. That is not true. But a man of the hill country of Ephraim called Sheba, the son of Bichri, has lifted up his hand against King David. Give up him alone, and I will withdraw from the city. And the woman said to Joab, Behold, his head shall be thrown to you over the wall. Then the woman went to all the people in her wisdom, and they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bichri, and threw it out to Joab. So he blew the trumpet, and they dispersed from the city, every man to his home. And Joab returned to Jerusalem to the king. The word 
of the Lord. Well, a Merry Christmas passage, right? That's it, right? You know, come on, yeah, where are the shepherds? Where's the manger? Instead, we get this story of rebellion, of murder, of beheading. Well, the truth is, if we talk about David and his kingdom, we're really not far off about talking about Jesus and his. Does not the angel say to Mary, the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You know, we're nostalgic at Christmas time. We love the stories, the three wise men, right? Mary on a donkey. You know, all things that really we can't look to Scripture and find, but we make them up anyway, right? We love this kind of nostalgia. The truth is, it wasn't really a pretty picture. The story of Jesus coming. There was rebellion even then. You have to remember that King Herod heard that there was a king born in Bethlehem, and he ordered that all the children two years old and under, boys, be killed. This is not always a nostalgic-looking picture. There was rebellion. See, here we are in the really the last part of 2 Samuel. The next chapters, 21 through 24, really the epilogue of 2 Samuel. They're stories that don't come in chronological order. They're poems of David. They're out of order. But this is kind of the last story of what is happening in David's life. So this is what the author leaves us with in his reign. Instability. Remember, Nathan said the sword would not be far from David's house. And this is it in fruition. The kingdom has not been fully put together. Israel still longed. They longed for a stable kingdom, an eternal kingdom. See, Christ's coming is the culmination of that. A resolution in hearts. Peace come. The king winning. It is the eternal king come to earth. When Jesus comes again, we will see there will be no more of this instability. There will be no more of this kingdom fractured. When he comes, it will be a full reign. Our hope is that he has come as a baby into this world to give us a glimpse of the kingdom that will come. The truth is the denial of this reality that we live in a still a fractured world, in a rebellious world, can be very confusing for people in this time. People can sing Jingle Bell Rock, at the same time, they can hear about our friend Bruce battling for his life in the hospital. How do I reconcile those two feelings and emotions? It's rebellion. Still here. Fracture. Still here. Sin. Still here. Death. Still here. 
You can have a meal and fellowship with your friends. You can have your family over and enjoy maybe the best food you've had all year. But still, maybe someone in your family is not there. There is fracture. There's no speaking terms. There is problems in the family. And it's evident when you see who is around the table and who is not. Again, rebellion. The reconciling nature of the kingdom has not come into fruition. You can open presents, and you can get that new Keanu Reeves movie maybe you've always wanted, right? Like, oh, this is it. This is what I really wanted to see. But then you're watching John Wick, chapter 2, right? And you realize there is still ache and desire in my heart. There is still a longing. I still live in a fractured, rebellious world where our relationship with God is not fully realized. See, David's kingdom is a shadow of the kingdom to come. The rebellion in his kingdom and against his kingdom points to a greater rebellion between us and the kingdom of God. See, we will look at these characters today and we see that we too rebel. And we start to get a glimpse of what can happen in our own hearts and how they respond to David and then how we might respond to God. So let's look. Verse 1 really kind of opens up what's happening here. It's really connected quite closely to chapter 19 in the sense that the northern tribes are feeling very left out. David has come back and he is from Judah and these two tribes of Judah from the southern kingdom he identifies with. That's where Jerusalem is. And these people of Judah are welcoming David back into Jerusalem. But the northern kingdoms they feel slighted. These ten tribes of the north by the southern kingdom. And Sheba voices the frustration. He's from the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of Saul. And he says, forget following David. Come on. There's no inheritance here. There's no love for us here. There's no good news of the kingdom here. Follow me in rebellion. It says, all the men of Israel withdrew from David and followed Sheba, the son of Bichri. Whether that is just they had sympathy for Sheba or whether they all followed him, we won't find out until later whether that really comes to fruition or not. But we do know this, there is fracture in the kingdom. And for Sheba, the wound is too deep. I don't believe in this Davidic kingdom. I don't believe in his reign. I don't believe what he has for us good. I don't believe there's actually an inheritance for us. And because of that, rebellion wells up in his heart. It says there's a better way than following David. I could do it better. We could do it better, Israel, than following under him. Well, this isn't a new theme. You know, this is a theme throughout 2 Samuel. 
people going their own way, tribes going their own way, the division of the tribes of Israel, that's been a consistent problem actually throughout the Old Testament. And here we saw David uniting the tribes, but here they are again, they are fractured. It's funny how words come back around. Especially the word tribes. I think there's no way that we would talk about tribes in our age, but the idea of tribalism is quite the buzzword in our, in our media today. Read the New York Times, the Washington Post, all of them speak about the idea of tribalism. We all want to find our own group, and our own group is right. And tribalism, what the media finds interesting, and they've observed, and I think we can observe too, is that tribalism gives rationalization to acting badly. I'm coastal. I'm woke. I'm an evangelical. I'm a liberal. I'm a conservative. We use tribalism to rationalize our rebellion against the Lord. If people can look at Christianity that way, maybe you look at Christianity that way. I mean, many of my friends who are not Christians and we talk and see what they post on Facebook, they see Christianity as just another tribe. You see what they do in that tribe. Some of you have been hurt by the tribe of Christianity. You said, I've tried that. This person hurt me in the church. Maybe the church told me something I didn't want to hear. And then there is rebellion in our hearts. And we try to think that that tribalism of Christianity allows us to rationalize our rebellion against God. Tozer says it so well. He says, if being hurt by the church causes you causes you to lose faith in God, then your faith was in people, not God. It's interesting as a pastor, I've kind of been in this row at times and talking to other pastors in the valley. It's always the other pastor's fault, right? And we have these sob stories that come to us as pastors. That people that say, Oh, can you believe what this church did to me? I always wonder what people might say about me when I'm not around. <laughs> if they say that to that, about that other pastor, then they probably say it about me too. Here's the thing. We can many times rationalize a rebellion of the Lord by saying, Oh, look at what the church did. I'm here to tell you, the church will hurt you. It's going to happen. It's not if, it's when. But that does not allow us to rationalize walking away from the world. And this is what Shiva feels. Rebellion. I can't follow David. I've been hurt. I will go my own way. Verse 3, I don't think I can just pass over it, because whenever you hear the word concubines, everyone's, you know, ears perk up. Oh, concubines, what is going on? 
ten of them. <laughs> well, again, I think this is an example of fracture in the kingdom. This is the ugliness of what sin does. David's excess with multiple wives. Absalom's sin in violating these women. I mean, we are ready for David when he comes back to Jerusalem to be a recoronation, to be celebration and all those things. Instead, this is the first picture we get about these ten concubines that are then locked away. And they live in widowhood the rest of their life. It's a sad picture. A sad picture of a fractured kingdom by the results of sin. It's very interesting. When Christ comes into the world, he, he goes to those very people like these widows. Those people on the outside. Those that are marginalized. See, Christ the King, instead of like David, who sent them out, he brought the harlots to him. The lepers to him. He brought them into the fold. He said, you too can be a part of the kingdom. Truly, the most startling rebellion wasn't from the outside of the tribe of Benjamin, but it was from the tribe of Judah. The ultimate rebellion was in the very court of the king. See, the last time we were left, we saw Joab was demoted as being general of Israel. And Amasa, who was Absalom's general, had been put in charge of the armies by David. And David has said, Amasa, rally the troops of Judah. You know, call up an army. He gave him three days. Whether three days was too short or people weren't going to follow Amasa because he had been the general of Absalom, for some reason Amasa was not able to gather the troops of Judah. So instead, David asked Abishai to instead lead the troops against Sheba. And then we get this picture of them, all the army gathering in Gideon before they go up to try to take on Sheba. And guess who's also there? Joab. You know, he might not be the head of anything, but he's a soldier. But he remedies this idea that he's not ahead of anything very quickly. This is a passage that is, uh, I will use for rationalization of why you don't grow a beard. This is it right here. <laughs> so here is Joab coming to Amasa, saying the very word in Hebrew. It says, Shalom, peace be with you, right? And then, instead of in his right hand, which that would be dangerous, his right hand to carry the sword. Instead, he grabs his beard with the right hand, comes up kisses him. But a good soldier wouldn't always look at the left hand. So with the left hand, the deceitful hand, right, he takes it, boom, and stops. It even notices, it didn't take two blows, it just took one. <laughs> and then they say, oh, if you follow David, you'll follow Joab, right? You see the irony? Here, 
How would you follow, following Joab be following David, considering Joab killed David's son, and now has just killed his head general? And then the reminder of what it means to follow Joab is right in front of you. You're all walking past it, right? There is a mass of blind, bleeding, dead, right in front of you. And then the word gets out, well, that's causing some, some problems with the troops, right? Seeing what it means to follow Joab by walking by the dead body he just killed, the general. So we'll just move him over to the side and cover him up. You see how bad it's gotten. At least Absalom got a burial. But what does Amasa get? He just gets taken out of the woods and covered his body. It's very important to understand this point. Being loyal to the king is not the same thing as being submissive. Being loyal to the king is not the same thing as being submissive to the king. You know, we don't like to think in royalty context, especially in the United States, right? We've gone past kings and queens. But I find it funny that the show that we watch the most right now is The Crown on Netflix, the most popular show on Netflix. Maybe you're crown watchers, maybe not. It's a great show, you should watch it. But America's obsessed with royalty still. And if you watch the crowd, you see this very idea. Here is Queen Elizabeth with her power in her reign. Her sovereignty, right? Which means to be power and glory. That's the person we should follow, the sovereign. As you watch this show, you realize that people might respect the loyalty of the sovereign, but they might not follow what the queen says. Look at her husband, Prince Philip. Or her sister, Princess Margaret. They love the benefits of the crown. They love what it does for them. But submitting to it when it might go against their own wills is a different matter. See, Joab, he's loyal to David. He loves that Judah is reigning and all those things. But that is different than actually trying to actually follow him and submit to him. I wonder what is worse, the rebellion of Sheba or the rebellion of Joab? Both are bad. But hear me, I think the rebellion of Joab, it's easier to be deceived that you're doing what you think is right when you are actually a rebel. It's a great time of year, isn't it? It's lip service to God time. It's C and E time, right? Christmas and Easter time. Oh, God's goodness, his reign, Emmanuel, God with us. We'll acknowledge him in his sovereignty. <laughs> but do we really obey him? Hiding in Christian subculture is so fun. I go to Christian school. I'm surrounded by the goodness of Appleton. 
I go to church. I live in this culture of Christianity. But when push comes to shove, I'm going to go my own way. I'm not going to give that up. that culture of Christianity, but really when it presses me, when it actually tells me I need to give something up, when it tells me it's not really about my kingdom, when it tells me I might have to do something that I don't want to do, I don't know if I should really obey it. And here's what happens, some of you have experienced this. You've lived your own way in rebellion and maybe an area of your life not submitting to God. And then the stench of that body. The visualization of what you're living is right there in front of you. Amasa. You go, wait a second, maybe the way that I'm living, the way that I'm acting is not the way I should be going. Look what's coming from my life from this. You say, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll take it and I'll cover it up and I'll just move it over to the side. Then I do not have to deal with it. Pastors love to name what those things are. Like, right, that's real application. Name all the individual things that we do to rebel against the king. I don't think I need to name them. It's amazing how rebellion comes in different ways in each one of our lives. And we love to look at other people's rebellion and point to them rather than looking at our own rebellion in the same way. The story goes on, and Joab and Abishai, they go to the northern part of the kingdom. Because Sheba, he's running all the way. He's probably trying to gather all these people to him to go against David. But little do we realize that there's nothing, there's no one going with him except his own family. He's left basically himself. And he goes into the city of Abel to seek protection, the northernmost part of Israel. And here, Joab and the army and Abishai come against him. And they lay siege against the city. And then we get this wonderful picture. Here, a general, the power of Israel, Joab, going against this city. And here, a woman calls down from the city wall. Hey, you there. Are, are you Joab? Listen to me. What are you doing? This woman speaks to power in her wisdom. The only time the Lord is referenced in all this chapter, she says, you're going to destroy the heritage of Yahweh. She's calling him out. Look at your violence. Look at what you're doing. You're trying to destroy the very thing of the Lord, Israel. You are causing division and violence in your rebellion. Joab's answer is classic. 
What me? Far be it from me to destroy. Talk about irony. He's the one that violence epitomizes, who kills everyone around him. From Abner to Absalom to Amasa, he just kills people that are in his way. This woman speaks of peace. This woman's message is a message of grace. You know, we can't always see it in this passage, but we went through the book of Judges, and this image should conjure in our mind another image that happens in Judges. See, there was another general or a man that thought he would be king, and he was dividing Israel by warring against all of it. And he went also to a city that had a wall. His name was Abimelech. And there was another woman on top of the wall. And that woman didn't speak about solutions. Instead, that woman took a rock and threw it over the wall, and it hit Abimelech in the head and killed him. You see, at least God has grace for Joab here to speak to him in his violence, to let this woman speak to Joab and say there is a different way. famous anecdote, maybe you've heard it. There's a truck that was going under a bridge, and it got stuck under the bridge. And so the police came, and with solutions, oh, we'll take a tow truck, and we'll try to push it out, and that didn't work. The engineers came, oh, how can we get the bridge to be shaped differently, or maybe elevated, or something like that, and you know, but they was like, it's just too expensive. And then there was a young boy there that saw what was going on. And he said, why don't you just let the airs out of the tire of the truck? Oh, what a solution. And they did. And the truck was able to get under the bridge. What makes rebellious people turn and change? You bring out the tow truck. You bring out the engineers. All these methods. Maybe it's a woman calling over the wall. It's the pink candle week, right? We wrote about Mary, a teenage girl, a virgin birth, a very, very tough situation. It's crazy that her cousin, or I'm just trying to remember the relation exactly. I know John and Jesus are cousins, but Elizabeth is with Mary. And Elizabeth says to Mary, you are blessed. says to her, blessed is the one who 
would believe there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her. See, Mary was a wise woman, like this woman over the wall, that speaks to us rebels and says, trust in the king to come. Even a teenage girl gets it. Even the weak and the oppressed, they get the trust of the Lord. Will you listen to them? Will you hear from them? Generals, kings, mothers, fathers, rebels. Will you listen to the wisdom over the wall? And say, blessed is that person that follows that king. No matter how hard the situation. Because she believed with him there are great things. is for rebels. It's for you and me to say a good God came to rebels like us and spoke with wisdom and grace through Mary and disciples and prophets and even kings to say there is a way to go. You can be united in this family. You can be under this kingdom. And it is good news. So we have white grape juice on the outside and red wine in the middle. We have gluten-free wafers and regular bread. This side comes over here. This side comes over here. You know, this is something that you're standing up and you're coming forward. In doing that, you're saying, I trust in the wisdom of this king. 